Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief, a strategic guide on how to not be an asshole at work. We'll tell you about bad bosses, how they can be handled, how to tell if you happen to be one. An executive and an executive coach, both artists working in advertising and marketing for more than two decades, are here to advise you on the ins and outs of office environments. The Bad Boss Brief is your ultimate guide to navigating any employment landscape. Without any further ado, here are your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. How not to be an asshole at work. I'm Stephanie Payrollo. I'm an executive coach, and I spent most of my career in advertising and technology. And I had some really bad bosses, some of whom were so bad that I actually brought legal action against them. And based on that, I decided I wanted to learn more about leadership. And I've now become an executive coach. And I'm here today with Eugene Robinson. I I, I was actually going to say, how bad were they? (laughs) (laughs) They were really bad. I think I'll like trickle out the badness over time for people who continue to stay posted here. I got you. Okay, good. That, that's good. Well, anyway, I, I'm Eugene S. Robinson, your 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 co your able uh, co-host, and uh, you, you know I I've had a boss that was so bad, and this is actually somebody you don't know that was so bad that it was routine for me to feel like we were going to get into a fist fight. Um, and this is his name was Rick San Vicente Vicente, and I, I I could never figure this guy out, and we never actually came to blows, but. Yeah, it, being a boss, it was instructive for me uh, uh, prior to being a boss because it was a steady stream of things I didn't want to do. I, this is I don't want to do this. I don't. I have a whole list of things I didn't want to do. And uh, asking your employees to fight is probably somewhere in the top five on that list. <laughs> well, and I think I mean you and I, Eugene and I have worked together off and on for. We've known each other for thirty years. He's hired me. I've hired him. Um, we've had like kind of run the whole gamut of bosses. And, you know, I think what's interesting is that we're both artists and the notion of a creative practice of leadership, looking at leadership in a different way is really what kind of intrigues me and what got me interested in talking more specifically about leadership. Because the idea of Bad Boss Brief is that we want to teach people how to not be bad bosses, right? I've been a boss. You've been a boss. I want to think that the people that work for me find something of value in that. And so that's really the idea is to try to come up with some stuff. And so today's topic is bullshit detectors. Uh And it's the necessity as a leader to have people around you who are going to tell you the difficult truths that you might not want to hear. We need these people in our real lives as well. (laughs) Right, But I I think that's what happens is I think that you and I are the kind of people who invite that exchange in our life. We have people in our family, whether we like it or not, who are going to tell us the truth and we're used to that. I think there's a lot of people, particularly these you know, middle-aged white guys in Silicon Valley who don't, oh. who don't have anyone like that in their life. So they're not in the habit of self-reflection and they're not in the habit of people telling them the unalloyed truth. And so what happens is good bosses will search out those people. They will invite them into the conversation and they'll listen to what it is that they say. Bad bosses disregard them and usually fire them. Right? And there's a lot of examples. I mean, we can't have a bad boss podcast without talking about Elon Musk. And you know, there's a lot that's been said about Musk. But what I wanted to focus on specifically is how his shenanigans at Twitter have mm-hmm. impacted the value of Tesla. 
Right? Mm-hmm. And there was an interesting article this week in the New York Times, Paul Krugman, who actually has won a Nobel, P- Nobel Prize in economics, wrote an mm-hmm. article and it was called uh, How to Destroy a Brand Musk Style. <laughs> and what he points out yeah. is that you know, the people that are paying 60 plus for an electric vehicle right. are buying it because of the Tesla logo on the back. Right? right. I live in Seattle. I see them like practically every other car. Right. The people that are spending that kind of money are college educated Democrats right. who are often very progressive. Right. And so what it is that that Musk is doing over on Tesla, which may look like, you know, libertarian, if you're going to be especially gracious, mm-hmm. he's alienating the people that are spending that premium on his electric vehicles. And he's damaging the brand. And that's what Krugman is talking about is, is how these, these antics of a leader can really have significant impact, not just on Twitter, but also on yeah. the value of Tesla. And yeah, the, yeah. the idea is, I mean, I keep, when I see these things, I look and I'm like, Musk has got to have someone in one of his organizations who understands marketing, communications, yeah. public relations. I keep looking at, that, at this news coverage and being like, get this guy a communications person, please. Do, do you do you think that it is fear of him that causes a situation where nobody's speaking truth to power? Or do you think that they have uh, consumed the Kool-Aid that has uh, led at least portions of the public to believe that he is a consummate business professional and genius? Um, I, I mean, my guess is that it is um, probably that he's just not listening, right? So mm-hmm. he has insulated himself from reality. Mm-hmm. And my guess is that he does that by firing people or putting them, you know, kicking them out into the outer circle. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're not allowed to come and speak that truth, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think it can be it, it can be chicken and egg. It can be both. I mean, I don't think you know the the whole notion of Musk is some sort of business wonderkind who has this like you know ability to talk over the people that work yeah. with them and disregard being can whatever. I don't like. I think that's going away really, really quickly. I mean, all of yeah. the companies are losing value yeah. Yeah. like a house of fire. And I, I blame that on Robert Downey Jr., incidentally. Well, do, do <laughs> people, pe- people making a social uh, social and media and social media connection between him and Tony Starks, uh, I think was one of the most damaging things that could have ever happened to that guy's mind. It would have been much easier or much more useful for people to make the connection between him and, say, Steve Jobs than him and the fictional Iron Man. Uh, <laughs> but uh, th- that beat as a way. I had a curious boss that would do this thing where he could always count on me to tell him the truth, but he was very selective about asking me when he wanted the truth, which is almost the same as not having me there at all, right? So if if it was something questionable, wouldn't ask because he didn't want to hear the truth. Um, and it was something that he didn't really care that much about, but just wanted to make sure that I was still on my bullshit detector thing. Then he would ask me about that, which is functionally worthless, I think, probably. Well, and I think one of the things, if there are people who don't understand how to find that bullshit detector, mm-hmm. having been that person, I can tell you where they are sitting, right? They're mm-hmm. generally not in the C-suite. Mm-hmm. Right? Very few people who are as direct, I mean, people who are as direct as I am get fired. They don't yeah. end up in the C-suite, right? Or if they yeah. do, it's, it's not for very long because they start telling the truth all over the place. So the idea is to look for somebody who's in probably middle management has been there for a long time and has terrific competency in one or more areas. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So like one of the things that I think is interesting is that a lot of times a leader will come up, let's say that you have a leader who comes up through 
maybe marketing, right? And they know a lot about marketing. They suddenly believe when they get a, a C in their title that they are experts in technology and product development and they they their ego accrues to them expertise that they do not in fact have. And mm-hmm. they stop listening to the people with that expertise. And what right. I find that the bullshit detectors usually have is they're tremendously competent in one area. Mm-hmm. And they're the kind of people who incompetence really bothers, right? So yeah, I, have, right. I have a couple of friends like this and they work in, in friends and clients and they work in very different industries. But you know how people who have, um, are almost kind of obsessive about disorder. They can't sit yeah. if something, they'll, they'll start, you know, adjusting the picture or they'll start cleaning. You're, ta- you're, 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 you're talking to one. You're talking to one. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. trying to keep things objective. Yeah, 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 yeah. You understand that there's almost a compulsion to make things orderly in a certain way. There are people who work like that, right? There are people who are really genius systems thinkers who can't look at a system, see a flaw and, and not fix it. Right. And that's the kind of person that you want. So if we're looking at, if we're talking about Musk, he, he needs a bullshit detector who works in communications and public relations Mm -hmm. say to him, you can't do that. You, you know, like you think it's a good idea to walk into Twitter carrying a sink. Uh, let me tell you that that is not going to land well. And okay. Let, let, let me, let me ask you to use your crystal ball here for a second and tell me, do you think based on what you've seen that it is likely that he will find this person or oh, no. maybe, maybe, maybe more specifically is the type that he represents the type that's likely to ever find that person? No. They insulate. Well, why, why, why not? Why not? Well, I think because they insulate themselves against that person, right? right? I mean, they are yeah. so firmly guarded against that person that there's no. I mean, one of the things that I notice when I have um, people come to me and want to be my executive coaches, and especially people who are in senior leadership, um, what I look for is I look for the relationships that they have in their life. Mm-hmm. And generally, my experience, and this is, you know, a generalization, but people who have been married for a long time or have Mm -hmm. had friends for a long time, (laughs) right, they're in the habit of accepting influence, right? I was going to say they know what hell is like, so they... I don't, I don't want to go Vegas on it, so but yeah, I'm gonna no, but and, and, you, yeah. and, and you and I know that, right? I mean, there are things where I intentionally will put my work in front of you, and you will tell me what you think about it. And sometimes those are not things that I would like to hear. They do not protect my ego, but they make the work better. And so that's one of the things that I like about this idea of the analogy between artists and business leaders. Right. That idea of like artists generally talk to other artists about their work. Right. Mm -hmm. They may not Mm -hmm. read every single, you know, critic's idea, but Mm -hmm. there's a sense that in order to grow, first of all, a lot of us have to do do art where we need other people to do the art. Right. Right. Or if like me, you're just writing on your computer, you want other people to see it. And so there's an automatic um, kind of uh, drawbridge to that ego defense, right? Like people naturally don't want to hear things that make them look bad or make them recognize they're being idiots in a particular moment or unskillful. Mm. But we have those ego defenses. And and I think art is a drawbridge, right? You pull the drawbridge down because you say, I'm inviting you to give me a critique. I have to say, I have to say, I can credit single-handedly credit a, a, a one reviewer, a Simon Reynolds who used to write for NME, with changing the entire course of my musical life through a negative review of an old Oxbow show. 
Um, and he, he, what he did was to spell out what he thought were the faults with Whipping Boy and, and, and explain what he heard when he heard Oxbow. So he laid it out. Here's where you were. Here's where I thought you were going to be. And probably if you could figure out how to get from one to the other, you will have success. And I felt myself angry and resistant. Um, but at the same time, this was not a person who I knew. It's not a person who I'd read. I didn't know from what basis, but what they said resonated. And I actually said, okay, I need to find a reason to do this. And I did so, and it was very private. It wasn't shared publicly. I read the review. I never contacted the guy. He doesn't know I feel this way up to this point in time where now we're known associates, but it completely changed how I approached musical art. And to, to that, I probably at least owe the guy a t-shirt. Um, did it, if, I, if I was a CEO and had a staff, would I have hired him? I most certainly would have. That, that was that was a, a crucial moment of truth telling that was told at the crucial point in time. Uh, six months earlier, I, I wouldn't have heard it. Six months later, it would have been too late. So I think that's important. And I think what you're demonstrating is you have muscle memory mm. of how to listen to something difficult. Yeah. Right. You know how to do that. And I think the challenge is, is there's a lot of people who are running companies who have never had that experience. They don't have the muscle memory. Of how do you have how- rejection? How do you answer the Tony Montana uh, uh, repost, which is like, who put this thing together? Me. That's who. <laughs> you know. In other words, what came out of here? My head pointing for the people just listening on SoundCloud. What came out of my head was enough to get us here. What leads you to believe that anything else would be good enough? Are you talking about people thinking like, I run the whole show, I built this whole company, I shouldn't have to listen to anybody? No, I not I shouldn't have to listen. Uh, you know, what's in here? It got us to this successful point where somebody like you can waltz in and, and critique it. You know, um, why is why is your uh, why is your your contribution of value to me now outside of you thinking it's valuable? Well, I guess if I'm the person that is being the bullshit detector, mm-hmm. it's going to come back to what is my authority, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. like, if you have a situation where there's a chief creative officer or a CEO who doesn't want to listen to the person that runs IT. When she tells him that there's a significant security flaw, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, I, I imagine there were people at Southwest Airlines who said, hey, before you do that buyback, can we possibly put some money into these systems, which yep. are antiquated? Because they're, yep. they're one storm away from breaking. Mm-hmm. And, and the leaders at Southwest Airlines said, now nah, we're going to do the buyback. We don't need to hear from you. And probably who that person was, was a middle level manager who understood the systems, who had been taping them together with duct tape and bailing wire and who understood and said and raised that flag. So is this a bullshit detector moment? At that point, there's a bullshit detector to somebody somewhere up uh, up on the food chain say, uh, I told you so. <laughs> or is this the point where they just kind of go out? Ah, Damn it. Well, okay. Whatever. Well, I mean, in the you know, in the case of Southwest, they did the very lucrative buyback. And my understanding is that CEO left. Mm, right? Right, right. And so, right. you know, if people don't have an opportunity to suffer the consequences of their choices, you know, I mean, my guess mm. is that person left very, very wealthy. Right? Right. right. So did you were you gonna do a segment called Fire Me? Let's go into Fire yes, Me. Yes, my segment, the Fire Me segment. You know what? I, I have to say, um, I have been fired. And I have fired people. And between the two of them, I'd much rather be fired. <laughs> Firing people, I don't like to see grown adults cry, and it's happened. Uh, but that be it as it may, the uh, the segment winner this week 
It's got to be, and keep in mind, we're talking deltas here, right? So in other words, if, you, if you're T.J. Rogers from Cypress Semiconductor, you've been an ass for the entirety of your career. There's no delta. There's no change if you do something bad. But the, in terms of fall, major fall from grace here, we have to talk about none other than Salesforce's Mark, uh, is it, is it Benny Hanna? Benny, how do you, Benny Off? Benny Off. Benioff, Benioff, okay. yeah. Benny, I like Benny Hanna better, but we'll call him Mark Benioff, who, who even, even, I mean, we're not even talking like months ago, was hailed as a new type of CEO, this new type of business. He built a new type of of, of uh, business thing, and people love this guy. He's, you know, the friend of the common person. You get, you get this image of this avuncular hand on your shoulder. You're doing okay, Eugene. Thanks, Mark. You know, and then he has this press conference. I mean, a mere two days ago, uh, uh, or an employee's, uh, an employee uh, group meeting, because they're facing layoffs, right? And and he fills it up, he, like forty five thousand. Some huge number of employees are listening to the fact that some huge number of them, significant percentage of them, are going to get fired, like seventeen percent or some seven percent, seventeen percent. It's in the text. I can't I, I can't remember. And um, so he starts to explain to them that this is happening, and somebody in the audience, you know, maybe anonymously, maybe not, raises a hand in the Zoom call and says, "Well, uh, can you give us more details?" And then he he breaks loose with the kind of the airy, vapory kind of CEO talk that says absolutely nothing. And if you at the very least, your objective as a CEO or a leader should be, I want people to feel better after speaking to me and not worse. And he did the exact opposite, which is a major fall from grace from a guy who's hailed as being, the, uh, you know, uh, uh, a great communicator from even, you know, 2021 that we we're talking about this. So he has this meeting. He, has, he pretty much says some of you are getting fired. I said, well, can you give us a sense of how he goes? Well, like everybody else, irrational enthusiasm under COVID, I, I overhired. And now that uh, you know recession is threatening, we need to pull back. Like everybody else, I, I, I have to, I have to get you know thin and lean and mean. We got to get rid of people, bro. That's not an answer. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I mean, you you come home and your partner's in bed with somebody else. You you know you're going to have questions, and you need very specific answers to those questions. You don't need like, well, you went to the grocery store. And he was cleaning the pool. It just happened to be that. What can I tell you? That is not, we need specific answers and you have failed to deliver them. So fire me this week is Mark Benioff or Mark Benihana, as you might care to pronounce his last name. Um, and it, the question is, I mean, the same question I asked you, can he earn his way back to where we thought he was in, in 2021? And I, I'm not saying it's impossible. But it's hardly possible. <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's going to be very difficult for him there because a couple of things in an insider article that I was reading this morning, he for that all hands meeting when people knew that there was going to be firings, he was eighteen minutes late. Yeah, the entire man. company is waiting for him. He's eighteen minutes late, and the the another person in the C suite, I think it was a CTO, apologized and said, "Sorry, we're delayed." And he turned to him and said, "Oh, are we are we delayed?" This yeah. is what I mean. Like his his bullshit, Mark's bullshit detector could have yeah. been a, a competent EA, right? Yeah. It could have been yeah. somebody, an assistant saying to him, hey, hey, you're going to be late. You need yeah. to be on time. Everybody's yeah. waiting. And then the other thing that I thought was really interesting. So Salesforce owns Slack. They bought yep. Slack. Yep. So everyone is on Slack. 
on a central channel <laughs> saying these things to each other. And again, basic communications person, like yeah, don't right. close the Slack channel. Yeah, right? Right. Or if you own Slack and are about to lay off a significant portion of that company, maybe recognize that screenshots are going to be going to every major publication yep. in the world. These, yep. So many of these are unforced errors. He talked for two hours mm-hmm. and just rambled on. And mm-hmm. one of the things that, that this article was saying is that he talks about Ohana, the Hawaiian idea of everyone is connected and everyone is family. And that that was supposedly one of the central tenets of the the Salesforce culture. And of course, people are going to town with that in in Slack. So there were so many things that are just obvious. I mean, anybody, even if you haven't been in marketing and communications, a common sense person could look at this and be like, yeah, you are heading for a world of trouble. And yet... There he was. There he is. And I and I, I don't think that this is something that he can come back with, certainly with his his current team. All of mm. those people are waiting. He didn't even lay everybody off. They're still yeah. waiting. Yeah, right. They don't know right. if they're going That's to right. lay yeah, as, so, as of not, as of the quarter yeah. of the show, yeah, they still don't know. Yeah. So no one is going to be doing any work. So I want to move. Well, you, you know, you, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Nero. Um, and you know, we kind of Nero in, in modern parlance has been like the violin guy, but you, 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 you know, yes. that yes. Once he started, he's, once he's playing the violin while Rome burns. No, no, no. Yeah, that's it. But do you know when you were at first, you were happy to be invited to, oh, Nero's going to be going to party at his house. You play. The deal was you couldn't leave while he was playing people who tried to leave for any reason to go to the toilet while he was playing was summarily put to death. So, so when I think of uh, when I think of uh, speeches that go on and on, I tend to think of the death portion of the whole Nero deal. So, anyway, go. You got, you got another I didn't remember that. Yeah, I was yeah. going to do a section that I'm calling my flashcard for how to be a better boss. So, if you've been listening to this, and maybe some of it is, you're like, oh, hmm, am I doing that? So, the the flashcard here is accept influence. So you need to listen to the people around you, and again, especially the ones who have expertise that you do not have. So. If you have someone in your organization who has that level of competence, I want you to try two things. One, I want you to listen to them. And I want you to, wherever feasible, do what they say. Mm-hmm. And do it and then signal that you're doing it. So, for mm-hmm. example, it would be like, Susan has suggested that I um, put to, that we need to put together new security protocols for our, our XYZ. And I'm doing that. And it's going to happen because I'm listening to Susan. Because what that does is it builds up social capital. And this is something mm-hmm. that I talk to a lot with my executive coaching clients. Social capital is like reputation in the bank. So the people who are liked by the people that work for them have a lot of social capital. And mm-hmm. you can think about it that every small act of goodwill that you do can put money in the bank. So when mm-hmm. you need to pull it out, when there are genuine layoffs that you have to do or a difficult business decision, you've built up enough social capital. Mm-hmm. So every time that you accept influence from someone on your team is money in the bank as far as your social capital is concerned. And, right. and when you do that, you want to signal that you are doing that. Basically, what you want to do as a leader is say, look at me accepting influence, round of applause. Except that you, you know what a bad boss is going to do in that instance. What? Well, I, I was talking to Susan, and I came to the genius conclusion that what we needed to do is 
So you kind of get Susan in there, but then you roll, run through the goalpost with the ball in your hand, and there's, it aren't I a good? It becomes like the Nietzsche uh, thing, genealogy of what was it? Uh, uh, Eki Homo. Why I tell? Why I? Why I write such great books? Why I am such a great business leader? I mean, Susan was somehow instrumental, but yes, but that, even that's with a that, bad boss thing. Yeah. Yes, but even with that, first of all, this will not be the first time that's happened to Susan. Yeah. <laughs> any woman yeah. in any industry has had that happen to her multiple times. Yeah, right, right. The thing is, he will still be showing that he is accepting influence, right? Yeah. Because we've all seen that, right? And I mean, that I had, a, I had a job once where there was a very challenging boss who would do that sort of same thing. But nevertheless, people came to understand that I would make a suggestion. Mm-hmm. They would know I had made the suggestion because they'd been in the room. He would take credit mm-hmm. for the suggestion. But regardless, what I said got through. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and for, you know, it's like the end was the same. It, and that was my feeling, right? You mm-hmm. can take all the credit you want to for all of my ideas, as long mm-hmm. as you use them so that our company does not go down the drain. Yeah. Yep. Right. And so there is yep. that. It's like, you know, the, the whole idea of leadership is you want to continue to try and improve and accept mm-hmm. influence, even if you have to do it by pretending it's your own. The people mm-hmm. around you are not stupid. The Susans of the world will understand that you took their influence and so will everybody else around them. And mm-hmm. next time, you know, and, and then the idea is, okay, accept influence and then learn how to accept influence and give the proper people credit. Yep. Because yep. I think it's, I think it's a process. And I think we have to look at two things that I just, as we're, as we're getting towards the end, two things that I want to call out. One is that a lot of the people who are working for Salesforce mm-hmm. or for Summit or for Twitter, they don't always have the opportunity to leave. Right. So this is something that I see a lot, this sort of notion of like, well, if you have a bad boss, just leave. Yeah. That's you know, no, and, and yeah. having been a single mom with two little kids working for bad bosses, sometimes you can't afford to because you're a breadwinner. Sometimes yep, you can't yep. afford to because you have a sick family member and your insurance mm-hmm. comes through yep. your place of employment. And so I think that's another thing that bosses who are listening to consider is that, you know, to a certain degree, we are all locked in that room yeah. listening to the leader play the violin. Yeah. Right. And it's not that we're going to be killed. It's that we might not have health insurance. We might not be able to pay the bills and that we want to think about that, that there is a trust. If you are a leader that Mm. you hold so much in your Mm. hands for the people that work for you. You know, I I, I once in a rare moment, well, it's not rare, but in a stunning moment of candor told the boss, I come to work every day wanting to kill you. (laughs) And he, and he, he said, he said, that can't be good for you. Or me, which I thought was a pretty great response as well. So uh, that was the closest I could come to. Here's a gentle offer to change your management style. So anyway, so what now? Now, what, now what do you got coming up this week? What's going on? So um, the next one that I want, the next thing that I want to talk about in our next episode is I want to talk about charismatic leaders, mm. right? And I'm going to talk about a CEO in the Seattle area who got a lot of press uh, pretending to be a good guy. And then um, did something that brought him down to earth really quickly. So we're going to talk about that next time. And what we'd also like to do is we'd like to get you listeners uh, to send in questions, thoughts, things you want us to talk about, topics. Send it to WTF at badbossbrief.com. And I have actually, I can put that up on the screen. Um, WTF at badbossbrief.com. And that'll actually get to me and we'll incorporate it in future episodes. And what I want to end with is something that I'd like to have be an ongoing segment, which is called things a real person has actually said at work. 
<laughs> so we invite you to send in things a real person has actually said at work. And we won't say what your name is. And we'll keep it quiet. And I have been advised by my attorney that I should say that none of these things necessarily were said by me at any workplace that you could see on my LinkedIn. Uh, so with that in mind, here is a thing a real person has actually said at work. A blow-up sex doll is not an appropriate party decoration. <laughs> uh, okay, I like that. And, and, and here, here's what I, I, I have for you. It's a situational one. Somebody had just said, coming to the office, well, coming to the office of their boss. So it was the two of them sitting there and said, how was your weekend? Well, it was great. I, I went to Burning Man, had a great time. Yeah, I'd like to see some of the photos of you at Burning Man. <laughs> Period. Close quote. <laughs> ah, got called on the carpet for that one. The dude actually had to go to counseling as well. He should have. You should have seen that coming from a mile. Don't. You know, you know, you don't. We don't need. You don't need to see photos from Burning Man. You went to Burning Man. Great. Good luck. Get back to work. You know, <laughs> but you do not need to ask. You know, uh, your photo editor to see photos of her scantily clad at Burning Man. That was a major misstep, and no. that's very, very, very real. It was one of those things when I heard it. I go, no. Who would be so stupid to say that? And I, now I know. <laughs> All right. And I'm Stephanie Payrolla with Eugene S. Robinson. And this is the Bad Boss, Bad Boss Brief. See you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Bad Boss Brief with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrolo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com. That is C-O-N-S-I-G-L-I-E-R-A dot substack dot com for Stephanie and Eugene S. Robinson dot substack dot com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at Mr. Sleep 3, that's the number 3, on Instagram. Send us your questions or comments to WTF at BadBossBrief.com. And be sure to join us right here on your favorite podcast platform for more insights every other week. Until next time, don't be an asshole at work. <laughs>